Well, good morning. As always, it's wonderful to see everyone here today. Uh, before we uh, jump in today, certainly uh, we uh, have all taken notice of all that's happening in our world today, and yet just uh, another and new example of the evil uh, that's in the world in which we live. Um, wasn't long ago we met and took time out of our service to pray as uh, for, for the people of Ukraine as they were attacked and uh, made their way into war. And now today we see that uh, unprovoked attack in Israel as well. Um, and that's just reminiscent throughout all of our world. We understand what's happening in the Middle East. Uh, uh, dates uh, back, my, my goodness, to the, the, the sin uh, even of Abraham, uh, of Isaac and Ishmael and their descendants and that war continues to rage on today, but, uh, but now literally to the people on the ground there in Israel. Civil war uh, in Afghanistan and, and throughout nearly every region of the continent of Africa. Uh, we see that throughout our world. And we're reminded what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. There will be wars and there will be rumors of wars until that time that He comes as the Prince of Peace to restore all things to Him. And so with that in mind, I thought it would be fitting for us to, to begin our time in prayer this morning. Would you pray with me? God, we love you, and we are reminded of the sin that's in this world, the consequences of sin dating even back to Father Abraham and his choices, and how sin sometimes can linger to affect generations to come. But Father, we pray for peace. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of war, God, we pray for peace. We pray for the protection of the innocent on the ground there in Israel and throughout that region. And Father, ultimately, we pray that your will be done. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue in our study. Today, we find ourselves in week three of this five-week series where we're focused on prayer. Week one... Uh, if you were with us, you'll recall that the title of that message was How to Pray. Uh, last week, week two then, we looked at how not to pray. And I mentioned last week that, that I believe prayer is our greatest privilege that we have as believers. Prayer is also, I believe, our greatest responsibility and our greatest weapon that we have in this fallen world. But unfortunately, prayer is also too often our greatest neglect. With that said, I uh, found a quote, Wanda Brunstetter said, if you are too busy to pray, you are busier than God wants you to be. <laughs> what a way to say it, amen. Uh, God desires his people, that, that, that we should be, just like as Jesus cleansed the temple, this should be a place of prayer. We should be a people of prayer. And so with that said, uh, today then I want us to look at the power of prayer, that, that, that power that, that we have access to through our relationship with, with God, through our Savior Jesus Christ, and that opportunity to pray to a holy God. To do so, we're going to be back in the book of Acts today. If you are with us a couple years ago, we spent uh, most of the year there. Uh, but I want us to look at Acts today because in the book of Acts, prayer is referenced more than 30 times and it's found in 80% of all the chapters throughout the entire book of Acts. Last week I mentioned that breathing is to your physical life what I believe that prayer is to your spiritual life and, and how we should, should live our lives, that uh, we, can't, uh, uh, we can't assume to have some kind of a great spiritual walk 
when we have no connection to God through a consistent prayer life. And so with that said then today, the first thing I want us to see is the power of prayer and how it united the church, how it united the early church. To do so, we're going to find ourselves at the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1. I have in the app this morning verses 4 through 14 to help with time. I will pick up in verse 8. Again, you can turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1 or find it in the church app this morning. Beginning in verse 8, Jesus speaking said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They were all continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers, the brothers of Jesus. Well, Jesus uh, tells here the disciples that, that they are going to be his, his witnesses. Now, if you remember in our study of Acts, or if, if you weren't with us, I'll share that with you now, but the Greek word for witness that is used there, the, the Greek word is, is martis, and it's where we get our word today, martyr. Right? So when we think of being a witness, we think of just putting our, our testimony on display perhaps or, or even just sharing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They understood it at a far deeper, far greater level that, that to do that, to be so bold as to be a witness for Christ, to, to, to share the gospel of Jesus would literally put their lives on the line and they would ultimately become martyrs. But so he tells them, you are going to be my witnesses at this level in Jerusalem, looking at their hometown where they were, in Judea, looking beyond that hometown and into the outskirts, into Samaria, which would be viewed as kind of the, the other side of the tracks, the place that, that no one wanted to go to, especially the Jews of that day, and then ultimately to the ends of the earth. Now, what a picture Jesus drew to say, listen, you're going to be my witnesses, uh, not only here, but we're going to start here, right? Not only to the Jewish people, but also to the Samaritans. They were considered half-breeds. They, they were half-Jewish, half-Gentile. And to really blow their minds away, uh, even going beyond the Samaritans, to the ends of the earth, to the Gentiles. Now, you got to understand, too, they received this over 2,000 years ago. These marching orders, there was no internet, there was no airplanes, there were no cell phones, and yet they were tasked with taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's been said that never in all of history has a more important assignment been given to a less capable group of people than the disciples. And how true that is. And yet, here we sit, 2,000 years later in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why, church? Because they pulled it off. They did it. But if you remember in our study of Acts, I said this, it's not the acts of the disciples, but rather it's the acts 
of the Holy Spirit working through the disciples. See, it's the power of God working through the people of God. That's what the book of Acts is. And so after he gives this, this incredible commission to the church, these marching orders to the disciples who were there, he then ascends into the Father. Verse 12 says that there they are then alone. I mean, you've got to think Jesus, their protector, Jesus, their provider, Jesus who could walk on water, Jesus who could, uh, you know, who could take a Lunchable and feed thousands of people. Right? He was taking care of everything for them. He's gone. They're, they're left alone and, and in bewilderment. They're just, just staring into the, to, to the heavens at what's taking place. And it says, then they, they returned to Jerusalem. It, it mentions it was a Sabbath day's journey away. What you have to understand, the rabbinic tradition had set the maximum distance you could travel on Sabbath without it being considered work and violating the Sabbath. A Sabbath was 2,000 cubits. All right, to, to bring that down to us, right, uh, that's about three quarters of a mile. That would be like walking from this room to Siegel Middle School. Okay, that, that's the maximum distance they go. And that's as far as they went. One of the things I love about the book of Acts is it shows us that they stayed right there. The birth of the church, and in an instance uh, of Christianity, happened within the very town, the very place that Jesus was crucified. Folks, if it wasn't true, <laughs> it would never have taken off. How could the, the very people turn to Jesus believing that he's Messiah if they saw him? crucified, nailed to a cross. They, they saw him breathe his last, except those same people saw the resurrected Jesus. That's the, the strength of Christianity. It, it didn't happen thousands and thousands of miles away. It, it, it wasn't birthed thousands and thousands of years later like every other a religion known to man. But in that very moment at that very town, only two 1,000 cubits, three-quarters of a mile away. And it says that then they, they went to this, this room upstairs. Now, that's not to be confused with the upper room, uh, right, where, where, where they took uh, uh, the, that last supper, right? This is a different place. And it says in this room upstairs, then there were 11 disciples. It, it mentions every one of them by name. Remember, Judas Iscariot had gone apostate. He had taken his own life for betraying Jesus, for allowing Satan to enter into his life. And so here they are, and, and, and I love that it, that it names them all out because we're reminded there was another Judas there. Now, can you imagine being the other Judas? Judas, the son of James, it's spelled out here. I mean, every time he traveled somewhere and would share the gospel or talk to people or present himself, he, he would say, just like I would say, hey, I'm, I, I'm David Bramble, right, for, from Northside Church, or, you know, or if I'm speaking somewhere else. He would have to go and say, hey, I'm, I'm Judas, one of Jesus' disciples. And the people would say, oh, I've heard about you, right? Uh, Judas, yeah, I've heard about that one. No, 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 not that Judas. I'm Judas, the son of James, right? He, he would have to clarify that. And I don't know about you, I, I'd have changed my name, right? I'd, I'd have been Joe or Joe something, right? I wouldn't have kept it. But he didn't, and it spells it out there. And there then in that room is these 11 disciples now gather with others. There's no singing. Sorry, Terry. There's, there's no preaching, and hey, there's no planning. Now, can you imagine this monstrous task that was given to these uneducated people, and yet they're going to carry it out, and they're not even planning. 
Now, I'd be like, okay, let, let's figure this out. We, we, we got, what's our game plan? What's our contingency plan? What, what if this goes wrong? Or what if you get killed first? Or here's who takes the torch? None of that. No singing, no preaching, no planning. Just praying. They met and they prayed because they understood the power of prayer. And it says that, that everyone was gathered there praying. I love that. And it says, it spells out specifically, including the women who were there. Ladies, regardless of what this world wants to tell you, there has been nothing in all of human history more liberating for women, more empowering for women than the advent of Christianity. It was only in the church of Jesus Christ. You wouldn't have that in the Jewish church. It was only in the church of Jesus Christ. They, they, they gathered then to pray. Armin Gesswein once said that when Jesus went back to heaven, when he ascended, the only thing he left behind was a prayer meeting. <laughs> That's exactly right. As he left, they immediately went to that place, traveled just a short distance to gather and to pray. And verse 14 tells us in the early church, they, they were continually united in prayer. It was, it was the, it's the power of prayer 2,000 years ago, and it's still the power of prayer today that will unite us as a church. See, when we're praying together, we're, we're united together in a common mission, a common goal, and a great commission. And, and in fact, as I was thinking through that, I, I can't tell you how many people that, uh, that I've met or counseled with over the years that, that have broken relationships, maybe within their, their homes or their, their close-knit family or, or other people, maybe even within the church. I want to tell you something. You want to reconcile a relationship, you pray with that person. I'm telling you, you can't be divided. You can't hate someone you're praying for. If there's division with you and anyone else, and certainly if they are a believer also, you pray together. And when you pray together, you'll be united. It was true in the early church. It's true for us today. See, I think too often we, we view prayer as just this, this Christian discipline. And then because it's a discipline, it's something that we often fail out. And so we just chalk it up. Well, it's just not my spiritual gift. Well, I'm just not a prayer. But it ought to be like the early church. An act of, of desperation. An act of, of necessity. Well, I like breathing to the body. I mean, your body's got to have that oxygen as a believer. Listen, I've got to be in prayer. I've got to be in fellowship with the Father. And together, corporately as a church, we've got to be at that united place Praying together. Well, they go on from that place in, in chapter 3, then Peter and John, they, they, they were going to the temple to pray one day, and as they, got, as they got there, they ran into a man who had been a lame all of his life. He'd been born lame, and he calls out to them, and, uh, and Peter actually ends up healing him. And I, and I love it because the, the, the Bible tells us that when, when this joker got healed, he didn't just get up and shake their head and say thank you. He started jumping. Man, he was like leaping and, and praising God, right? He was letting the world know. And so because he's carrying on because of what has taken place uh, through the power of the prayer of Peter and John, then a large crowd begins to gather, and everybody's amazed because they knew the man was, well, had been born lame, that, that he couldn't walk. And, and so this large crowd gathers and as it does, then Peter does what Peter does. He and James begin preaching the gospel, telling them about the, the power of Jesus Christ. Well, chapter 4 then says that the, the religious leaders get word about what's taking place. And so they do what they always did, and, and they go to stop them. They tell them that they actually have them arrested and tell them, hey, the only way you're going to get out is if you commit to and, and promise to stop speaking the name of Jesus. 
Well, they don't listen, they don't do it, but they get released anyway. And that takes us to the second thing I want us to see this morning. The power of prayer. Not only does it unite the church, but it also emboldened the church. Let's look at chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. Acts chapter 4, again, it's in your notes this morning. After they were released, following that release from healing the man, after they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God. They were praying together. They raised their voices to God and said, Master, and here is their prayer laid out. You are the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You sent through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant. I'll pick up in verse 26. The the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, and they continue the prayer in this city, Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats. And here's the the ultimatum of their prayer. And grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing. And signs and and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled had, had shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Peter and John, they, they get released from prison. Why were they arrested? Simply for from preaching the gospel. And immediately then they, they go to the church. And they go to the church again. Not to sing, not to preach, not not to plan out their next move, but to pray. And what is their prayer? It's not to ask God for protection, not for for vengeance, not, not even for blessings. But they ask God, what church? For boldness that they would be emboldened in their service to to speak and to preach and, and to teach and to lead even more. It says, after then they had prayed, the place was what was shaken. And they were emboldened by the Holy Spirit and the power of God. I love that. Throughout all of Acts, that's what you see played out over and over again. Praying and, and preaching and, and praying all the while being persecuted. All the while they, they were being martyred for the faith. And yet they prayed to have even greater boldness in their mission. See, I believe you will be emboldened. We will be emboldened as a church when our faith meets our faithfulness. Uh, Augustine said this, pray as though everything depends on God. Work as though it all depends on you. All right? When when we believe that, hey, God, we're willing to to do whatever you've called us to do, but we pray because we know the only power we have comes from you. And so, God, we ask you to to embolden us, embolden me to be the, the man of God that you've called and created me to be, embolden Northside to be the church that you've called and created us to be. We pray for that power to be emboldened. Well, not only do we see the, the power of prayer unites, united the church, it, it empowered the church, but it also amazed the church. Let's look at Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. About that time, the King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church. He executed James, the brother of uh, John's brother, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too during the festival of unleavened bread. 
After the arrest, he put him, talking about Peter, in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him, for Peter. Now, what you need to understand, it's been nearly 12 years since Jesus was crucified at this time. Now, James, anywhere from 12 to 14 years, most scholars believe. Now, here, this James, not James, the brother of Jesus, but James, the brother of John, it says, he has already been put to death by Herod. It says he, he, he was put to death by the sword. Now, that was one of two things. Either they ran the sword through him, or most likely, he was beheaded. Friends, that, that is a horrific way to die. The swords they had typically didn't even work or do the job on the first try, and so it would be time and time Again, can you imagine that death? In fact, uh, this James was the first of the 12 disciples that would be put to death. The first to, to, to be martyred that, that, that's mentioned in the entire New Testament. Now, Judas Iscariot, remember, he had turned away. He was the first to die, but he took his own life. And so here we have it in the early days of the church. Stephen had already been stoned to death. Uh, James has now likely been beheaded. Peter kept getting arrested time and time again. See, persecution was, was part of being a Christian in that day. I mean, that, that was the label they carried. When you went out and you said, hey, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm a Christian, persecution was there. Right? The, the, the whole idea of, of martyrs to be that witness would likely mean you would be martyred. Because I want to tell you, in the early church, that, that, uh, that, that prosperity gospel health, wealth, and prosperity, everything's going to be good. That didn't exist for the early church. And so here then, this, this, this public killing in, in a horrific way, it says it actually pleased the people. They, they liked what they were seeing. In fact, it made Herod more popular with the people. So following that, then he, he, he snatches up Peter and says, hey, this is going to be great. I'll hang on to him, and he locks him up, and it says there were four squads of four soldiers. Now, I'm not perfect, but four times four is 16. 16 soldiers guarding one fisherman. And they would be likely four soldiers uh, in six-hour shifts, right? So, so there would be four uh, six-hour shifts throughout the entire day. Two would be with Peter, and, and two would be guarding the gate. 16 soldiers for this one fisherman. Why would they go to all these efforts for Peter? Because it wasn't the first time he was arrested. He had been arrested many times. In fact, not, not, not too long prior to this chapter, we learned where he was arrested for preaching the gospel. An angel goes in, and you remember that story, and actually plucks him out of prison. Peter goes off and finishes the sermon. Right? He went right back to that place. So he's not taking any chances here. Herod's doing all he can to keep him. He was in his... Maximum security, I guess you'd say. Can you imagine if we were that kind of threat to the enemy today? If they thought, hey, man, we got to do, if Satan said, I got to do all I can to keep this one from sharing the gospel. I got to do all I can to try to, to stifle, uh, to, to, to mute what's happening through the church there at Northside in Murfreesboro. Oh, that we would be a threat like that. Verse 5 says then that though the, the church was fervently praying the entire time. And I love that because often I'll say this, when we come to those passages, something horrific will be happening, and they'll say, but God, right? But God interceded. Boy, this would have happened, but God. And here we have not but God, but, but the church. <laughs> here the, it's the church that's exercising the power of God 
through prayer. Now, Herod's doing all he can to secure Peter's faith. And the church, the church was praying. The church was doing all it could. They understood the power of prayer for an almighty God. You know, I, I was reading this passage again, and today, if a member of this church were to be arrested for preaching the gospel, and hey, don't ever think that it couldn't happen one day in America too. But let's, if, if it did happen, what would go through our minds? What, 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 what would we do? Hey, we'd turn to the power of politicians, wouldn't we? we we'd be knocking on their doors. You've got to do something about this. right? We're not going to vote for you anymore. We'd turn to politics. We may turn to the military. Hey, you got to go over there and do something. we got to go to war over this. We, we, we turn to all different types of power. They didn't do any of that. They, instead, they, they turned to the ultimate power. They turned to the power of prayer. Let's keep reading chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 6 then. When Herod was about to bring him out for trial that very night, Peter bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while the sentries stood in front of the door and guarded the prison. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. Striking Peter on the side, he woke him up and said, Get up! And the chains fell off his wrist. Get dressed, the angel told him, and put on your sandals. And he did. Wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. So he went out and followed, and he did not know what the angel was doing was really happening, but... He thought he was seeing a vision. After they passed the first and second guards, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened by itself. Then they went outside and passed one street, and suddenly the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all the Jewish people that they expected. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was called Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. He knocked at the door of the outer gate, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice, and because of her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the outer gate. You're out of your mind, they told her. But she kept insisting that it was true. And they said, it's his angel. Peter, however, kept on knocking. <laughs> and when they opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. Not only did the power of prayer unite the church, embolden the church, <laughs> but it amazed the church. Now, I preached this, pastor, uh, this, pastor, this passage uh, fairly well. Uh, back in 21, we were in this series. Uh, I'm going to be brief, but, but I love it. In fact, this is one of my favorite stories in all the Bibles. I just, man, I love this one, right? I'm going to try to still end on time, but there's just so much here. Verse 6, then it says that, that he was bound with chains, sleeping between two soldiers the night before his, uh, he was certain to be executed. And he's asleep. Now, what you got to understand about that, likely they had uh, one guard chained to his right side, another guard chained to his left side, Right? Not exactly comfortable conditions either, and yet, and yet he's asleep. Then the other two guards would be at each one of the gates leaving the place that they passed by when the angel came. So we had this picture that night. There, there Herod is. He's likely sleeping like a baby, right? He's at total peace. He's thinking, I've got this. I've got 16 of my best guards on Peter. I've got it. That same night, Peter's also sleeping. See, he's also at peace, but he's at a different peace. He's at peace knowing, hey, 
God's got this. I got nothing to fear. I believe, church, that, that Peter had this, this spirit of peace, was able to sleep in, in this, this moment of crisis because the church was praying. I believe that in his spirit, he felt the power of that prayer. And I'm going to tell you, there's some people in this room right now that you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been there. You've, you've been at that traumatic place or that, that crisis moment, and, and there's people praying for you. And you can feel the peace of God. You, you know it's there, and you know it's there because you, the people are praying. The, the church is praying. I, I believe that's exactly what we see in Peter. And notice it says they, they were praying. That, that word there, were, right? They had been praying all night and still going. It's an imperfect tense. It was still happening. It wasn't they had prayed in the past. They were talking about praying the next day. They, they were in a spirit of prayer this entire time. And then literally as the prayer meeting's going on, it happened. Knock, knock. Who's there? Peter. Peter who? Right? I mean, you, you can't play. That's exactly what took place. Rhoda, this little servant girl, she hears his voice. Says she believes immediately. Runs back. She, she's so excited she didn't even open the door. Now here Peter is, right? He just escaped from the pokey, right? You know, he's worried about things. He's out there beating on a door. She left him outside. She runs back to tell him, hey, Peter's at the door. And look at this church. You've lost your mind. As they're praying for his release. Now there they are, just, just pictured the whole church just on their knees crying, God, you got to get him out. God, you got to get him out. Hey, Peter's out. Come on. You've lost your ever-loving mind. That's exactly what they were praying for. And here's what they were saying. Don't interrupt our, don't interrupt our prayer, little girl. Come on, we're in here praying. Don't, don't, don't mess with us. They likely said this. Did you see him? Well, no, I got so excited I left him. Oh, then it's his ghost. You, you heard his ghost. That, that's what it is. And then what happened? Peter came in. He kept on knocking. He comes in. And when they see him, they were amazed. They were amazed at what God had done. He, even this, this fervent uh, church who believed in the power of prayer, yet when they saw Peter, they, they still stood in amazement of what God had done. I remember reading a story of a town in Texas in the 1930s. It was referred to as the Dust Bowl. Man, it was dry. It was bad. It, it was a drought. All the livestock was dying. The, the crops were shriveled up. The, the wells were going dry. The pastor of that community then begins to get word out. We're going to have a prayer meeting. We're gonna, God can fix this, right? He had all the faith in the world. So, so word travels out over several days to get through, uh, through all the town and townships around there. The day comes. People began coming in droves, literally hundreds of people gathering outside of this church. One person brought an umbrella. And it wasn't the preacher. See, I, I believe we've got to pray. We've got to pray for rain and bring an umbrella when we go. Pray believing that God will amaze us. We, we believe in the power of prayer that, that, that God is able to do what we can't even fathom, even though we ask for it. Pray, believing, and expecting. Let me get back and, and wrap up. We look back at church, verse 5 there. It says the, the church was praying fervently for Peter. Now, what you have to understand is the church would have been praying for James too. 
Certainly this was just a carryover prayer meeting that had begun when, when James got arrested. And yet those same people who had prayed for James got word that he was beheaded. Now you ask, well, well, why did God allow them to kill James and not Peter? I have no idea. Couldn't begin to tell you. But he did. And all we're called as a church is to pray and believe. And then by faith, trust God with the answers. Trust God with that. God, I, I'm praying for this miracle. But whether you deliver it or not, if you do, I, I'm going to stand in amazement. And if you don't, I'm going to trust by faith. And remember in prayer, we said this early on, Jesus reminded us of God's perspective. Our Father, what church? In heaven. God has a, a heavenly perspective when we're praying for things on this earth. We always consider, well, it's got to be better for someone to live longer on earth. Why? Because we want them here. We, we miss our loved ones. But does God? I mean, certainly God has a different perspective of that. How much better to come home to heaven? No more pain, no more suffering, no more war. In fact, I believe in this instance here, I, I think James, I just kind of got this picture in my mind. James was looking down from heaven. <laughs> And he was saying, Peter, man, I'm so sorry they prayed so hard for you. <laughs> I know you'd rather be up here with me. Peter got saved just to die again. Matter of fact, he was going to die an awful way being crucified upside down on a cross. History tells us. So as a church, we pray for every person and we pray for every need. And we believe that God is able to do anything. But we trust in his sovereignty. We, we trust in his timing. And we even trust in his choosing. James was beheaded. And this church was still praying for Peter. What, what an act of faith. They were still praying. What well, didn't work for James? How many times do we pray for something and I didn't get it? So I'm done. I don't pray anymore because I tried it once and it failed. This church prayed for James. And he died horrifically. And yet they continued to pray for Peter. The early church knew that their greatest weapon in this world against the enemy, against the spiritual warfare that we looked at last week, was the power of prayer. And I think we treat it like a last resort. I had tried everything else. Doctors tried everything they could. Nothing else works. Hey, we better pray. Corey Ten Boom. <laughs> Powerful testimony. She said this, or asked this question, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Wasn't that a good way to put it? Is our prayer life what's driving us, or is it that thing under the car that if things get really bad and we have a blowout, then we'll turn to it? That's what she's saying. Church, listen to me. The power of prayer will unite us. It will embolden us to share the gospel more fervently. And in doing so, it'll amaze us to see God using us, if we'll let him. Well, I said each week as we close, we're going to have a, a challenge, an, an application for you to carry out. Week one, I encourage and challenge you to have a, a daily private prayer time, just setting that, side aside, that time aside, just you, alone with God, each and every day. And I want you to continue to do that. Last week then, I challenged you to have a, a, at least once throughout the week a special prayer walk, whether that be your, 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 uh, your, your neighborhood, 
whether that be your workplace, your, your school, whatever that is, but uh, to, to, to walk and to pray. Don't be that, you know, uh, uh, religious weirdo out there chanting and, you know, throwing anointing oil everywhere, but just, you just go and pray. And maybe God would open the door. I mean, I heard from so many of you uh, that, that emailed and texted me about uh, how your, your prayer walks went and, and how you're going to continue to do that. And I want you to. So we'll have our daily prayer times, our private time with God, our prayer walks through the community. And this week, this week I'm asking this. Husbands, pray with your wife and lead that time. I know. I know. Why? Well, she prays better than I do. That's okay. That's not where the power comes from. It's not your vernacular. It's not even how long you pray. I'm telling you, there's nothing greater you can do for your marriage than pray together. I tell my young couples when we're doing counseling, premarital counseling, I say, there ain't nothing more sexy to her in this world than you on your knees praying with her. There's nothing greater we can do. Men, lead the way in that. Pray with your wife. Yeah, it'll be awkward. Yeah, you're going to feel weird. It's, it's called humility. Pray with your wife. Parents, pray with your children. If you've got children at home, I don't care how old, they are, how old they are. If they're in your home, I want you praying with them this week. Pray with your children in the home. If you say, I, I don't have a spouse or children in my home, then I want you, I want to encourage you to do this and challenge you to find a prayer partner. Find that person. Maybe it's somebody you work with. Maybe it's somebody close to where you live or a relative, whatever that may be. But you find that accountability partner. You find that prayer partner and you commit to pray with them this week. Church, will you make that commitment? Because I'm telling you, I believe in the power of prayer. And I'm praying for huge things for this church but it's going to come when we all unite in prayer and we all get bold for the gospel together. In this community, they'll stand in amazement to see what God's doing through this church by His will. Let's pray. Father, we love You and we thank You for loving us and we know that You hear our prayers. So God, I, I pray that we would be united. I pray that we would be emboldened in the gospel. God, that You would do things that even in our greatest faith, we would stand in amazement of your power. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.